Let's pray. Jesus, thank you. May you be magnified in suffering, in difficulty, in hardship, in joy, in blessing, in times of plenty. Lord, may you be magnified by whatever means you choose to bring into our lives to accomplish the answer to that prayer. Lord, do that. We come to you this morning. We ask that as we open your word, you would be at work drawing people to yourself, winning the lost, building people up in the faith once and for all delivered to the saints, equipping workers to take the message of the gospel into the world, and multiplying disciples who are making disciples until you come again. So that Christ, at your return, you might be welcomed by all those who long for your appearing, and may we be those. And that you might be feared, honored, glorified, revered, magnified, both in our hearts today and in the days to come. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. So in 1990, I walked into a large group meeting of the Fellowship of Christian Athletes at my school, Presbyterian College in Clinton, South Carolina. And when I came into that meeting of the Fellowship of Christian Athletes, I was blown away by the love that I observed in the people who were gathered there to worship Jesus, to hear his word, and they loved Jesus one another. They were filled with joy. They even loved me. They seemed glad that I was there. I was transformed by the Spirit of God and the Word of God, but a community of people made the Spirit and the Word visible to me. They made it possible for me to see Jesus. A few years later, I graduated from PC and I moved to Charlotte, North Carolina, and God did the same thing in my life again. He brought me into a community of people. There, it was a a group of volunteers with Young Life, and, and we were after Jesus, and we were after high school students to tell them about Jesus. And you know what God did? He gave me a community where I could be encouraged in my faith. You know what else he did? At Wendy Gap in North Carolina, I met my wife. I met my wife on a, on a Young Life weekend taking high school students to Wendy Gap. And it was through community. It was through a biblical community of people that my faith in Jesus was nurtured and it grew and grew and grew. We need one another to stay faithful to Jesus when we're going against the headwinds of our culture, we need one another. A, a man named Jim Rohn, he said one time that you are the average of your five closest friends. And he's right. But it's even more than that. Because it's not just your five closest friends, it's your entire network of relationships It's your entire network of friendships and relatives that encourage you and and help you grow as a follower of Jesus or not. Because it is a true thing to show me your friends and I will show you your future. We need one another. 
We need one another to have our faith in Jesus nurtured, to grow and follow him or not. Now, in this passage that I'm gonna, we're going to look at together this morning, you're going to see two groups of people. One group of people cultivates and nurtures faith in God, and the other cultivates and nurtures foolishness. There's a foolish crowd, and there's a wise crowd. And we're going to see the difference between them. We're going to discover what that difference is, and then we're going to ask the question, how do we get this in our lives? How do we move with the wise crowd and avoid the foolish crowd? So let's jump in. Malachi chapter 3, starting in verse 13. The first crowd that we meet in this passage is the foolish crowd. Your words have been arrogant against me, says the Lord. Now we've seen throughout our study of Malachi that that the book of Malachi has a series of arguments between God and his people. And in this discussion between God and his people, what God says is, your words have been arrogant against me. They have proud words, haughty words, hard words, because their hearts are proud. Their hearts are hard. Their hearts are haughty. Look it up. It's a good word. You'll want to use it this week in an argument with your spouse. I'm confident of that. (laughs) Your words have been arrogant against me, says the Lord. Proud words flow from proud hearts. Yet you say, what have we spoken against you? What I say? Husbands? She's heard it. What I say? What I do? Do anybody have teenage kids? What I do? That's what they say. Their emotional and relational intelligence is so low that though they have proud hearts, they're completely unaware of the fact that they've said or done anything wrong. Yet you say, what have we spoken against you? Well, God, in his kindness, answers. You have said, it is vain to serve God. And what profit is it that we have kept his charge? Me firstism, me firstness, always asks the question and demands the response, what's in it for me? What's in it for me? God, I've served you, I've followed you, what's in it for me? And they do not see enough evidence in their life that there's enough to following God, which means what really has ownership of their hearts, what really controls their thinking is not the greatness and glory of God, but the greatness and glory of themselves. They want the answer to the question, what's in it for me? What profit is it? that we've kept his charge, that we've walked in mourning before the Lord of hosts. The foolish crowd, they say, what a drag. What a drag to follow God. So lame to follow Jesus. And because of that, 
they fall into greater foolishness, verse 15, so now we call the arrogant blessed. And not only are the doers of wickedness built up, but they also test God and escape. This crowd has become so foolish that now they call the good evil and the evil good. They call the wicked blessed and they assume that everything in life will just keep going the way it's always gone. There'll never be any consequences to wickedness. There'll never be any consequences to to going against God and his will. Everything's going to be fine. Well, how about the wise crowd? The wise crowd is in, starting in verse 16, Then those who feared the Lord spoke to one another, And the Lord gave attention and heard it, and a book of remembrance was written before him for those who fear the Lord and who esteem his name. So those who are foolish, the foolish crowd, they speak against God arrogantly with proud words from proud hearts. But the wise crowd, the wise crowd, they speak to one another about God. They esteem him. You see that at the end of verse 16, who esteem his name? They esteem God. The Hebrew word for esteem is the word chavod, and it means to weave. They weave together truths about God. Their words to one another build a tapestry of truth for each other to honor glorify and worship God. In your studies, you'll see each week when we gather together in small group, there's a new study on your chairs, and you'll see that when we gather together in small group, for example, on page 15 of your studies, you'll see the question at the very top of the page, what does this passage tell you about God? And the reason we have that question every week is because we're trying to help you weave a tapestry of truth about who God is, to know and speak to one another things that are true, things that will esteem the Lord. That's what the wise crowd does. The wise crowd gathers together to speak to one another in esteem for God. And it says in verse 16 that the Lord gave attention and heard it, and a book of remembrance was written. In the ancient Near East, when the book of Malachi was written, kings would often gather their scribes together, and they would write remembrances of the men of esteem in their kingdoms who... um, exemplified love and devotion to the king. And when God says, we we have an example of that in the book of Esther, when the work of Mordecai, a Jew living uh, in Persia, when his work for the king is remembered by the king and he writes it down in his book of remembrance, And when God chooses to spare Israel in the midst of the Persian Empire, he uses that book of remembrance to call attention 
for the king to the goodness of Mordecai, and that saves Israel in a foreign land. God is king. God is king. And God as king keeps a book of remembrance. And what he's looking for in his book of remembrance is loyalty to his rule. Loyalty to his loving rule over his people. Verse 17, they will be mine, says the Lord of hosts. On the day that I purpose, on the day that I prepare my own possession, and I I will spare them as a man spares his own son who serves him. Religion and religious people are like the foolish crowd who looks at their life and they say, what's in it for me? Is there enough in it for me to justify me going after God, serving him, honoring him, worshiping him? What's in it for me? But the wise crowd, the wise crowd, they are possessed by God. Christianity is God moving into a human heart and capturing that heart with his love, affection, forgiveness, righteousness, the gift of eternal life. Christianity is God taking possession of us. Christianity isn't us striving to please God. It's God striving with us to take possession and win our heart's affection back to him. And so you will again distinguish between the righteous and the wicked, between one who serves God and one who does not serve him. When God takes possession of a person's life, you can tell. When God moves into a human heart, he begins to set things right in accordance with his will. He begins to work in that life to make a distinct distinction between the holy and the profane, the righteous and the wicked, the good and the evil. That work in the life of a Christian, a follower of Jesus, we call sanctification. And we see it throughout the Bible. And for example, we see it in the book of Leviticus, the law. In Leviticus 10.10, we see God describe the purpose of the law in Leviticus 10.10, do we have it? Maybe not. We don't have it. I'll look it up. Leviticus 10.10. Maybe it's not 10.10. Jimmy's trying to help me. No, it is 10.10. Leviticus 10.10. Oh, it is there. Great. Thank you, Jimmy. So as to make a distinction between the holy and the profane, between the unclean and the clean. The law, the Older Testament, the, the Older Testament is divided into two main sections, the law and the prophets. And in the law, God says the purpose of the law is to reveal those parts of our life where we are profaning, unclean, making a distinction. God wants to move in. He wants to draw us into grace. And the law points out that which is clean and that which is unclean, that which is holy and that which is profane. The prophets, the other major division of the Older Testament, 
In Ezekiel chapter 44, verse 23, we see the same principle at work there in Ezekiel. Moreover, they shall teach my people the difference between the holy and the profane and cause them to discern between the unclean and the clean. So there's a distinction between the follower of Christ and the person who's apart from Christ, the person who's growing with the wise and the person who's moving away from God amongst the foolish. And the difference is marked by what Malachi says in verse 16, twice in verse 16. Then those who feared the Lord spoke to one another. And at the end of the verse, those who fear the Lord and who esteem his name. So what's the difference? What's the difference between the wise crowd and the foolish crowd? The wise crowd fears the Lord. So what does that mean? Let's take a brief study of what the fear of the Lord is in the Bible. The fear of the Lord. The first time you see the word fear or afraid in the Bible is in Genesis chapter 3. This is after Adam and Eve have turned away from God and they become aware of the fact that they've sinned against a holy God. They're both guilty and ashamed. And it says in verse 10, I heard the sound of you in the garden and I was afraid because I was naked so I hid myself. Adam and Eve become aware that by their sin they have broken God's command and they've broken his heart that they've become profaned they've become ashamed so they hide they hide from God they're afraid of God and his holy presence in their midst and God in his great love chose rather than allowing humanity to remain in this place of hiding to remain in this place where they were afraid of God, God in his grace takes the initiative to move into the world and establish the gospel, the good news. We see it in, in Genesis chapter 15. In Genesis 15, verse 1, God calls a man, Abram. After these things, the word of the Lord came to Abram in a vision saying, Do not fear. Abram. One of the first words that God speaks to Abram is, do not fear. Abram, I want to work in your life. I want to move in your life. I want to provide for you a way of escape from my wrath. And so in a few more chapters, in Genesis chapter 22, God provides a way of escape for Isaac and for Abraham in a ram caught in a thicket. In this story, God had commanded Abram to take Isaac, his one son, a son that he had promised and provided for him, to take his son, his only son, and sacrifice him. And Abram obeys God, takes his son up onto a mountain, and is about to sacrifice his son. And God stops him and says, Abram, I now see, I now see that you fear me. 
you revere me. My provision for you is a substitute. Isaac won't be sacrificed, but a substitute will be sacrificed in his place. And that points to Jesus. That points to Jesus. What causes the heart to honor and revere and worship God in holy fear is grace. Are you afraid of God or are you in awe of God? The difference between a person who's afraid of God, like Adam in the garden, or a person who is in awe of God, like Abram, is that grace moved into Abram's life. God's provision of a substitute for us in Jesus Christ is the thing that causes our hearts to move from being afraid of God to being in awe of God. It's the gospel. And you see the gospel in Malachi chapter 3 and verse 17. They will be mine, says the Lord of hosts, on the day that I prepare my own possession and I will spare them as a man spares his own son who serves him. God in his grace spares us from his wrath. God in his grace spares us from the consequences of our guilt and our shame and he chooses in grace to cover our sin by providing a substitute for us. God says he'll spare us and then in a moment of just unbelievable surprise, God provides his own son so that we could be spared. God in his grace moves in to take possession of his people and he does it by purchasing us, not with bulls and goats, but with his own son on the cross, Jesus Christ. All of our sin is placed on him and he is punished in our place. The son, Jesus, wasn't spared so that you and I could become children of God, his own possession. Verse 17, verse 18. So you will again distinguish between the righteous and the wicked, between one who serves God and one who does not serve him. None of us have ever served God the way he deserves to be served. None of us are righteous, not one. But God in his grace made him, Jesus, who knew no sin, to become sin for us so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. It's the grace of God that moves in to take possession of the human heart when God's amazing grace captures our heart's affection. When God moves in to take possession, it's the gospel that blows us away that God would treat his son, the righteous one, as if he were wicked so that we, the wicked, might be treated as if we're righteous. So that now, if you're in Christ, if God has moved in to take possession of your heart, he says, I am pleased with you because I'm pleased with my son, your savior, Jesus Christ. Has the message of the gospel 
the good news of salvation by grace alone, through faith alone, in Christ alone. Has that captured your heart? Has God moved in? Has there ever been a time when the love of God moved into your life to take possession of your heart? If it hasn't, Jesus Christ says, I'm the king. I've come to establish my kingdom. And the wise crowd responds to my good rule by turning from sin and trusting in me alone. Turn from, turn from the foolish crowd and, and trust Christ with the wise crowd. It's the gospel that enables our hearts to fear. It's grace was grace that taught my heart to fear and grace my fears relieved oh how precious did that grace appear the hour I first believed have you won't you won't you believe on the Lord Jesus Christ and so be saved and if you have if God has moved into your life to take possession of your life, to move in with his holy love, to take possession of your heart, then, then go where wisdom gathers and avoid where wisdom scatters. That's our action step for this week. To go where wisdom gathers and avoid where wisdom scatters. Now you'll see Proverbs 13.20 printed there um, on the screen. And so let me read Proverbs 13.20. Proverbs 13.20 says, He who walks with the wise men will be wise, but the companion of fools will suffer harm. Proverbs 13.20. He who walks with wise men will become wise, but the companion of fools will suffer harm. Go where wisdom gathers and avoid where wisdom scatters. Now, let me give you three practical steps you can take to press that into your heart. Number one, the first two are, the, just bear with me. Just the first, the first one is this. Let me just tell you. The first one is this, monitor, limit, or even eliminate social media from your life. <laughs> Do this, take Proverbs 13.20, put it on a card, and then when you have your phone or your computer and you're scrolling through your feed, just put Proverbs 13.20 up next to it and ask yourself the question, who is streaming past me on my screen? Is it the wise or is it fools? Am I making myself a companion of the wise or a companion of fools? And if you take your social media feed and you align it with what the scripture teaches about wisdom and foolishness, then let the Holy Spirit direct you as to what is wise and what's foolish. Scrolling or the scripture? Second, 
curate, curate the news and television and media. And this was this was so clear to me this week. As I watched for 14 hours the Weather Channel. I mean, you can only hear the word catastrophe, disaster, so many times. And then you change the channel. You go to another channel. Crisis! And what happens in the human heart is the human heart was not designed to live in that state of fight or flight. God created us with a limbic system that gets hijacked And when our hearts and our minds are hijacked by words like catastrophe, devastation, disaster, it begins to cause our hearts to flee or to fight. It fills us with anxiety, dread. And so we need, we're dependent upon grace to move in with the truth Go where wisdom gathers, avoid where wisdom scatters. Curate, know what's going on in the world, know what's happening in the world, but don't let your heart be hijacked by disaster, catastrophe, devastation, crisis. Let your heart instead draw life from Jesus. This is the third one. Learn to abide in Jesus. Learn to abide in Jesus. Jesus said, I am the vine, you are the branches. He who abides in me will bear much fruit. Apart from me, you can do nothing. Jesus invites us to follow him into the wise life. The wise one says, Cultivate a life with me. Learn to abide in me and my word. Let my word abide in you. Let me live my life in and through you. Let me move in and begin to make a distinction between the holy and the profane in your life. Let me in to your life. Jesus said, Behold, I stand at the door and knock. If anyone hears my voice and opens the door, I'll come into him and dine with him and he with me. Jesus desires to move into your life. And he desires to teach you the wise life by cultivating an abiding life in him, in worship and in small group, and by spending time with Jesus alone in the word and in prayer Every day. Jesus doesn't just say, cancel this, cancel that. He says, no, draw life from me. Let me move in. Let me do life with you. And let me do life for you. Jesus Christ invites you to abide. Now, The reason why our social networks impact us so dramatically, the reason why the crowd that we run with impacts our life so dramatically is something that psychologists and social scientists call norms. Norms. 
that when, when something comes into your social network and establishes a norm, whatever it is, a habit, a lifestyle, uh, a pursuit, a hobby, when something moves into your social network and establishes a norm, you'll be drawn to it. What if, what if you became the Jesus norm in your network? What if you drew life from Jesus? What if you learned to abide in him and drew life from the vine and you became the the Jesus norm in your school? What if you became the Jesus norm in your neighborhood? What if you became the Jesus norm in your gym? What if you became the Jesus norm in your office? What if God chose to take each of us and drew us to himself, took possession of our lives to such a degree that everywhere we went and everything we did was controlled by him to such a degree that we started seeing people, our friends, our family, our co-workers, our neighbors, drawn into an eternal kind of life with him. Go where wisdom gathers. Avoid where wisdom scatters. And when you do, watch him. Watch him begin to draw people into the normal life. The normal life of worship, awe, reverence for Jesus. Let's pray. Jesus, by your Holy Spirit, I pray that you would take this passage and press it into our hearts. Help us, Jesus. Help us to avoid where wisdom scatters and and help us to run to those places where wisdom gathers. Father, we're surrounded by folly in our culture. People who, who call evil good and good evil but you father are true good and righteous and through jesus christ you've provided a way of escape for us and you have moved in to take possession of our lives through jesus and if you're here this morning and and you sense God, moving towards you in love to take possession of your heart and life, let him. Say yes. Admit to him how much you need him. Say to him now, Jesus, I admit that I've sinned against you in many ways and I'm sorry. Say to him now, Jesus, I believe you died on the cross as my substitute. and You rose from the dead. Jesus, come into my life as Savior and Lord. Say to him, now, Jesus, help me become the person you want me to be. Jesus, I pray that that in the midst of our lives, we could Set apart that which is holy from that which is profane and that it would be your grace that moves in to do it. Jesus, meet us at these tables. Let us draw life from you.
I pray in your name. Amen.